In this episode of the podcast, Brienne Tower is telling basically part two of her birth story or her second birth. So if you guys go back and listen to last week's episode, episode 97, that was Brienne telling about the birth of her first daughter. So now she is going to share the birth of her second daughter. Hello and welcome to What the Buck. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse and a certified labor doula. This podcast is created to inform and empower every woman on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me here every Monday at 9 a.m. as we dive into all things prenatal, birth, postpartum, and so much more. So let's jump into today's Well, so it sounds like obviously you did end up trying again. So, you know, tell me about um, finding out you were pregnant with your second daughter. Yeah, um, so we actually suffered um, a miscarriage in between our first and our second daughter. Um, I got pregnant at the end of 2019. And then I had my first like dating ultrasound because at this point I knew I was going to be high risk for my uh, next pregnancies. So I had a a high risk OB. And so they sent me for the early ultrasound, the dating one. And basically all they saw was the gestational sac and the yolk sac. They didn't see any fetal pole. So they just, the ultrasound tech just told me that I was early. And like, you just kind of have a gut feeling when stuff like that happens. And especially like being in the medical field, I like have a little bit of knowledge when it comes to like pregnancy aside from personal experience. So I just didn't have like a good feeling about it. Um, And then I went back next week for the second ultrasound and still the same thing. I progressed maybe three days. Um, So they're like, it's still looking like a little early. So um, we're gonna have you come back again. And so they had me come back a week later. And at that point when I should have been eight weeks, I was only measuring six day, six weeks, one day. So like the gestational sac and the yolk sac got bigger, but there, I never developed a fetal pole. Um, so I talked to my OB and she gave me kind of three options. She's like, um, cause I, the pregnancy wouldn't have been viable. There was nothing growing inside the gestational sac. Um, so she kind of gave me three options on how everything was going to happen. She's like, you can wait for your body to miscarry naturally. I can prescribe you some medicine to help speed that up, or we can just go straight to a DNC. Um, so I opted just to try for my body to miscarry on its own. Um, and it took about two weeks before my body kind of realized like nothing was growing. And at that point I should have been like 10 weeks, one day, um, and yeah, it actually sent me into Emerge. I, my, my blood pressure dropped to like 90 over 40. My pulse was in like the fifties. I was like sweating and I was so out of it. I was pale. Um, and basically like the ER doctor had to go in and pull out all of that t- tissue because I had a C-section for my first baby. Nothing has passed through my cervix. So there was this big chunk of essentially tissue and what would have been the placenta and everything like that, that was trying to come through, but it couldn't, which was causing my body just to lose its mind and like shut down. So they like got me started because I was bleeding heavily too. I was in a severe amount of pain and I was, I soaked like those overnight pads two in one hour. Um, so they started me on like TXA I had like um all of the medication to like kind of just stop the bleed and then they were like taking my blood I had like 
four IVs, two in each arm at one point. Um, and yeah, so that was kind of traumatizing again. Um, my poor husband just kind of like had to sit there in the corner while I was basically like lifeless. It was so hard for me to form words. It was weird. I was in so much pain. I just, I couldn't even tell them that I took Tylenol at five o'clock in the morning. It mustered up a lot of energy to do that. Um, but by like the afternoon, I was okay to go home. I found out I had an incomplete miscarriage, so I didn't have all of the tissue um, pass. Um, I think at that point they told me I had like um, like a Christmas orange size patch of tissue still on my uterus. Um, so it took six weeks before I finally had completed that whole process. I had two ER visits, two round of the mesoprostol, mm -hmm which did nothing. And then finally I had to have a DNC because I still had about a toony sized tissue. And I think I had in those six weeks, I had like 10 or 11 internal ultrasounds, which are just not comfortable. No. Um, so after that, um, I kind of looked at my husband. I was like, maybe we'll just wait because when I went in for my DNC, my surgeon was like, you're very lucky. Um, because my ORs are shutting down tomorrow because COVID had just hit Canada and it was, we didn't know anything. So everything was like shutting down. We were getting the work from home order. Um, so I just kind of like snuck in there, but he's like, you still would have had it done anyways, because it was emergent. Um, but I talked to my husband. And I was like, maybe we should just consider waiting till COVID's over before we try again. And uh, he's like, yeah, like talk to your OB and see what your OB thinks. And then we can go from there. So I talked to my OB on the phone and she's like, honestly, um, we have no idea when this is going to be over. This right. could be over at the end of the year. We could be dealing with this like two years from now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, she's like, we don't know. So you can wait if you want, but all you're really going to be losing out on is time. Right. And like, um, and that, and I was like, okay, like that totally makes sense. So we decided that we would start trying after I had two, two um, periods because I needed to get this test done um, and I had to be six weeks out from being pregnant. So my hormone levels were um, like stabilized and I wasn't, it wasn't showing up pregnant anymore. And I don't know what the test was called. It was a very, very long word. It started with a T, something about my blood. Um, but anyways, it came back negative, which was good. So um, we ended up getting pregnant in May of 2020. So our first try again. And now we just joke that I'm just fertile myrtle. Yes. <laughs> um, and my pregnancy was pretty much the same as my first, um, except I did not, I only threw up twice. And I credit that to the continuous masking at work because it was very hard for me to find a place to go throw up while wearing mask. And I didn't <laughs> want to do that in my mask. Right. But um, it was nice though, because no one at work could see me like visibly dry heaving. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was very nauseous for the first trimester. I did not get my second wind in my second trimester. I started swelling again. Oh, no. I gained a lot of water weight with my first. I think I was up like 70 pounds with my first and roughly about the same with my second. Um, and it was right around 29 or 30 weeks. I went to my OB and I was like, 
my anxiety is starting to creep up a little bit. She's like, that's natural and to be expected with what you went through with your first. Um, and I was like, my sight's going on outbreak again. And like, I was like trembling and like, she could see, like, I was almost like on the verge of tears and she's like, all right, so I'm going to call it. I think it's time for you to go off work now. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, at this point, like your mental health is going to be more important than you being working and everything like that. She's like, we need to prioritize that because the more stress you carry in your body that passes on to your baby. And we don't want that. And I was like, "Uh, okay. So like, when is my last day going to be like end of next week? She's like, it was today. And I was like, okay. So I called my boss um, and I let her know. Um, And yeah, I had three good weeks um, at home, hanging out with my daughter before things started to um, go haywire again. Um, I went in exactly at 33 weeks again, with a terrible headache that I did not, I couldn't control with Tylenol, it didn't go away. um, And my blood pressure was elevated. So that's when they first started me on Lobetalol. um, And between and at 33 weeks is when my uh, OB said, okay, you're going to have a home care nurse come every single day, um, aside from the days that you see me, or you have an appointment for an ultrasound. Because at this point, I had weekly OB appointments and I had weekly ultrasound appointments because um, they noticed at 30 weeks or 32 weeks, whenever I had that ultrasound, that my daughter's growth was restricted. So she was on the smaller side. She was still in like the 10th percentile. So they weren't too, too concerned about it yet. Um, the pressures in my cord were still fine and babe showed no signs of shunting yet. So they just kind of took it on a weekly basis. Um, so yeah, uh, between my OB visits, which were right across the street from the hospital that I was delivering at, the ultrasounds, which were in the hospital that I was delivering at, and then my unscheduled visits to uh, labor, excuse me, labor and delivery, I visited that hospital three to four times a week prior to delivery. So it was a lot. I joked around that I was footing the electricity electricity bill of the hospital that I was delivering at because <laughs> I was paying so much in parking. Um, but by the end of it, um, I had an ultrasound on a Monday. I was 36 plus one. Um, my daughter was starting to show signs that she was shunting in her brain. So it's basically what they described it as the brain was just sending blood to the vital organs of the body, um, in order to just like sustain life in the womb. Um, and my pressures in my cords were starting to go up. And when they took my, um, vital signs prior to my ultrasound, um, it was like 156 over 111. So, um, and at the clinic that I went to at the maternal fetal medicine, every single time um, someone reviews your chart, it's not your OB. It's a, like a, a group of doctors that work in that clinic. Um, so that doctor came in and she was basically like, you know, you're 36 now, you're a good gestation. Um, ideally we would have loved to get you to 37, but I think it's t- now time that you get induced. And I was like, at this point though, like I was so done with being pregnant. I was so done with being in the hospital. like. The resident on the labor and assessment floor 
I saw the same resident like six times and like the second time she came back she's like oh you're here again and I'm like yeah so like I knew some of the nurses by first names I recognized their faces because I was just there so much I was so uncomfortable I was just so over it like it was just a lot emotionally and mentally just to be at the hospital all the time like I'd call my mom to come watch my oldest while me and my husband drove. Um, He didn't come every time because I went so frequently, but like then being in the hospital by yourself. And if you went in with any sort of symptom, like I went in one time because I had a headache because my blood pressure was high. um, They swabbed you. So um, I was getting like COVID tests right, left and center. I was alone for half of it. I was just... I was ready. Like at 35 weeks, I joked around. I was like, wouldn't be upset if you induced me. Like I've already surpassed my goal. (laughs) And I'm sure, you know, obviously all signs are pointing towards preeclampsia, which I'm sure you're nervous about developing into help syndrome again and having an emergency cesarean again. So I'm sure even that, like that anxiety of like, you knew, you know, your blood pressure was rising again, um, you know, and you had this little, like the IUGR interuterine growth restriction also thrown into it. I'm sure you you were just thinking like, you know, this is progressing into exactly what happened last time. So let's just like get this train on the road and, you know, get, (laughs) get this baby delivered. You made it past the 33 weeks, like you did with your first pregnancy. So, um, I can totally imagine you being like I'm ready to go let's do this yeah like I told my OB I was like my two goals for this pregnancy is to deliver after 35 weeks and in 2021 those are my goals right so how Um, was um how was labor and the start of your induction um so I was induced with a fully calf which um I they told me could be quite uncomfortable to insert um but it wasn't like I felt pressure but that was it Um, but it took like 14, 15 hours for that thing to come out. And that was with me, like getting up like every hour or two to go pee. And I was giving her a good yank every single time I was in there. They told me just to check it. Right. So I was giving it a good yank and there's like no other otter feeling than walking around with like a fully calf that's not even like draining your pee and then that you don't even have a leg bag it was just this thing that was like literally slapping against the inner of my thighs yes. when I was walking it was so and it's weird. in your cervix it's yeah it's yeah it's <laughs> it was an odd sensation um but yeah it took about 16 hours to fall out so it fell I got it at 3 p.m on the Monday and I think it fell out just before shift change so I think like 6 45 so whatever math that is 15 hours almost 16 yeah right yeah um after it was inserted to fall out and like it's funny because my nurse came out from my assessment area and she told the desk she was like it came out and I all I could hear was like clapping and cheering (laughs) so like apparently I'd been there for a while they were just waiting for this to happen um and then I got hooked up to Pitocin at 8 a.m um and I didn't really feel anything like I had mild period cramping, which for me is nice because my periods have always thrown me through a loop for the first day. My cramps are so intense. I get the nausea, the vomiting, the hot and cold sweats, the diarrhea. Um, so it's just basically that's I think that's how my body reacts to severe pain. It just kind of like shuts down and empty all, right. all of its tanks. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the cramping wasn't bad. It was very manageable. Um, so by the time the fully fell out at 
645. Um, I was roughly two to three centimeters because that's how big your cervix needs to be for the bulb, the bulb to come out. Um, they started me on Pitocin um, and I just kind of hung out. Um, I wasn't really in any consistent contractions. Um, I felt maybe like a little period cramp here and there. Um, they finally got me to a laboring room at one o'clock. Um, and at this point at one, I think my Pitocin was halfway to the max. So I think that's like 10 or 12. Mm -hmm. um, and I got settled in there. Um, and the OB on call came in and it was probably around three o'clock and she's like, all right, um, I'm gonna check you. And then um, we can discuss whether or not we wanna break your water. So the cervical checks, holy, that was the worst part of my entire pregnancy. Um, apparently I have a very high cervix, mm. which um, is hard for some doctors to reach. Um, but yeah, so I was literally like gripping down into the bed and just like screaming because it hurt so bad. And the OB try, she said I was like at about five centimeters. So she's like, yeah, I would suggest that we break your water just to keep things progressing because we can only um, increase the Pitocin so quickly. Um, so I was like, okay, let's do it. She tried like three times or two times. And she's like, you know, I'm not in the business of torturing people. Um, yeah, I can see like you're in a great deal of pain when I do this. So we can either try one more time or I can come back in a few hours um, after I checked on some other patients and try again. I was like, no, like I can do this. Let's give it one more go. So she broke my water around 3.30 and that is an odd sensation. I was just laying in bed because I, I was at this point like diagnosed with preeclampsia. Um, and because my last birth was a C-section, even though it was all, they were almost four years apart. So it was like three and a half years ago. I had to be monitored the entire time. So um, all I could do is just lay in bed. So I just literally laid in bed while all of this fluid like gushed out of me. They were like changing the, the soaker pad underneath. And um, after that, like about a half an hour after she broke my water, I started feeling contractions and like, like I said, I've never experienced, even with um, my second, I could feel tightening across my belly, but I don't think I ever experienced a true Braxton Hicks. Um, so I had no idea what to expect. And everyone was like, oh, it's okay. It's your second baby. You know what's going on. I was like, I don't, I don't. I... Um, but they're no joke. Like they, those Pitocin contractions are intense. Um, so it went from like zero to 60 in like an hour and a half. My birth plan, my birth hope was to have as much of an unmedicated birth as I possibly could. But at this point, I was already on Pitocin. That was also the same for my first. I wanted to have an unmedicated, like natural hospital birth. And I had the exact opposite. Um, so I didn't like, I didn't want to try. I wanted to try and do it without any pain killers or any pain management without an epidural. Um, heat and hot water work very, very well for pain control for me, but because I was monitored, I was confined to that bed. Right. So with every single contraction, all I could do was like, the best way I can describe it is I was a sardine in one of those sardine cans, just like wiggling around. Mm. That's the only thing I could do because I couldn't even move that much because then we would lose, um, her heart rate mm. and we wanted to monitor that. 
Um, so just to see how she was doing with those contractions, because with smaller babes and earlier babes, um, they can tend not to handle contractions very well. Um, so I think it was like an hour and a half after um, I got my water broken where I looked at my nurse and I was like, I need that epidural. Like, there's no way I can do this without having any other forms of like natural pain management. Couldn't get up and walk, couldn't sit on a birthing ball. I couldn't go into the shower. She almost at one point didn't let me go poop at the beginning of it because I needed to be monitored. She's like, do you really have to go? And I was like, yeah, I really, really do. Um, which trying to go to the washroom, trying to have a number two while you're also having Yeah, in labor. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I think I was in there for like 10 minutes and she's like, are you okay? And I was like, it's not coming. <laughs> and I felt so awkward too because my husband was right outside the door too. And I was like, right. whatever. If I poop now, maybe I won't poop on the table. That's so funny. Um, but yeah, I was like, I need the epidural. She's like, okay, I'll let um, the anesthesiologist and your doctor know. Um, and she came back. She's like, all right, well, you're fourth in line. So it could take a little bit. Um, she's like, it's probably going to take about an hour before you get your epidural. By the time I got my epidural, it was like seven o'clock because there were three people in front of me and I heard not one, but two code pinks, which means emergency C-sections. And apparently um, they only had one anesthesiologist on that night. Oh, so I just kept getting bumped. Um, but by the time I got that epidural, let me tell you, I was living my best life. I was like <laughs> relaxed. Took a nap. Um, like, yeah, I tried, but I think I was just too many emotions. Yes. I laid there for like a half an hour. Um, but yeah, it was like relaxed and I could still feel like the tightening and the pressure, but I couldn't feel the pain. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. I could still move my legs too. And I was like, yeah. you know, my friends told me that that epidural is like, the best thing they're not they're not wrong like, it was great <laughs> um but at this point like when was it, it was like eight o'clock maybe and my husband was like a little antsy because he is control of the payroll um for his company so if he doesn't submit payroll his employees don't get paid so this was tuesday night and he had to have payroll submitted by 10 a.m on wednesday and um, he didn't bring his laptop with him. He couldn't do it from his phone. So he was just like, I don't know like how long this is going to take. Should I go grab my laptop now? Because we didn't live far from the hospital. It was a 17 minute drive. Um, I did have it timed with the amount that I visited it. I'm sure. <laughs> um, so he's like, I could just jet home, grab my laptop and then come back. Um, and we kind of looked at my nurse and we're like, okay, like, where am I at? How much time do you think we have? And she was like, okay, so you're, um, I think I was hundred percent effaced. I was eight centimeters dilated, but she was still at a minus two. Um, so she's like, she's still got some time. Like she's going to be having this baby in the middle of the night, like the wee hours of the morning. And I was like, okay, well like, just do it. Just go home. And selfishly too, I wanted him to go home because that day our little nameplate came. So I didn't want to send a picture to our family of the new baby without her little nameplate, right? right. Um, so I was like, yeah, you go get your laptop, you grab that thing from the mail, and then you come back. Um, he was gone. He probably left closer to 8.45 at this point. And at like nine o'clock, I was just like, oh, like... I don't feel good. Like, I really feel like I have to poop again. Can I go poop? 
And at this point, they had put the wire on her head um, because her um, her heart rate was dropping with contractions. So it was like at a steady like 120 to 130. And then when I had a contraction, it would drop down to like 70 to 60. So um, they weren't concerned at all because she rebounded within like 15 seconds. And I think she said if they if she didn't rebound after 30 seconds, then they get concerned. Um, but like my labor and delivery nurse was like cool as a cucumber and I was losing my crap because <laughs> I thought something was wrong and my husband wasn't there. So we share our location on our iPhones and I texted him. I'm like, where are you? Um, because like, this is starting to get real. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm just leaving the house. I was like, okay, so he should be here soon. Um, and then it was like quarter after nine. I was like, yeah, I really feel like I need to poop. Like, can I go poop? And they're like, uh, no, but I'm going to get the resident in here to check you again. Um, and so the resident came in and she like checked me. She's like, yeah, she's ready to go. And I'm like, what? <laughs> um, I had, did not expect that. I expected to be like starting to push at like 2 a.m. So I checked my husband's location at like when it was like 9.20 when she uh, came to check me and I checked his location. It said he was still like right by our house at the drive-through for coffee. <laughs> and I called him, I'm like, where are you? He's like, I'm just leaving Shore Park. Why? I was like, it's happening. You get here now. And I was like so aggressive because I did not, like we thought we had hours. Right. I thought I had like at least like six hours before I started pushing. Turns out I had about 30 minutes. Um, so yeah, by the time he showed up, he showed up like a minute before I started pushing. So uh, my nurse got everything ready in the room. She's like, um, when you, if you feel the urge to push, don't push because I'm not, like we're not set up and ready yet. It's like, okay. So I pushed for 18 minutes and at the hospital that I was delivering at, you hold your own legs. Like you, it's, you're just one-on-one -on -one with your labor and delivery nurse. And I wasn't expecting that. I thought I'd have like, you have more nurses coming in and out. Like the only time I had two nurses in one shift is when one nurse was covering the other's break. But yeah, you're like one-on-one -on -one with your um, delivery nurse and you do all of that pushing with your nurse. And then once you crown and you're a couple pushes away from delivering your baby, that's when they call the doctor. So I was like crowning and she was like right there. I could feel her head. She's like, okay, stop pushing. And I was like, sorry, what? You want me to go against every natural I hate instinct? that. She's like, yeah, she's like, you need, I just need to go get the doctor. And like, I don't, I wasn't trying to physically push, but my body was just like taking over. I was like, she's coming. Like I could feel her coming out. And like my nurse is getting her gloves on and she's like, no, you're fine. And her back's kind of like to me. I was like, she is coming out right now. And she turned around and she's like, oh, there's the head. So um, my nurse pretty much delivered my baby. Um, yeah. The doctor came in to like right at the end, got her gloves on. Um, there was two of them because I think he had a resident too. So she, they both got their gloves on. And by the time they got their gloves on, my baby was out. She was born. Um, and I remember like with my first, I didn't get that skin to skin, right? So they gave her to me and she was crying and she was moving around and she was fine. But I kept asking like, is she okay? Do you need to take her to assess her? Like, is she okay? Because I didn't get that golden hour with my first, right? So my main priority was like, 
is the baby okay? Like she's early, she's four weeks early. Is she okay? Do you need to do anything like with her to make sure that she is okay? So that was like my main concern. And then I hear <laughs> the OB tell the resident to grab the suture kit. And I was like, suture kit. I was like, I tore. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, please tell me that my vagina and my butt are two separate things. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he laughed and he was like, yeah, don't worry. They're two separate things. You have about a second degree tear. He's like, you need like four or five stitches. And I was like, okay, perfect. I was like really nervous there for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so she was fine. Um, they stitched me up. Um, they walked me to the bathroom to try and get me to go to the washroom but I just like physically couldn't pee at that point Um, and my epidural was starting to wear off Um, we got into my other room and then we had to spend three I had her Tuesday would it have been Tuesday it would have been Wednesday morning by this point when they got me into my room so we spent Wednesday Thursday and we were discharged Friday evening because she was born excuse me um before 37 weeks they require um usually about 72 hours of um just uh to monitor them um just to make sure they're doing okay and like I was like so close to signing out AMA because like I've had a I've had a preemie before like I I I know like what to do um the problem is I didn't have a preemie before who didn't have a feeding tube So when my first was born, like she was getting donor milk and then my milk through her feeding tube for the first week. Um, But this, uh, my new daughter, uh, she was not. So like I would feed her and then I'd give her formula because my milk wasn't in and they were just all, it felt very pressured just to like feed, 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 feed because she needs her weight to go up um, because she is so little. And I wasn't a huge fan of the pediatrician that they assigned us in the hospital she like wasn't going to let us go because she was still under uh two kilos um and I was like yeah but she's like she only lost weight for the first two days and then the second or yeah and then the third and the fourth day she gained weight so I was like we she's on the up like she only decreased twice and now she's going up and I was like I'm like I'm fine I've had a preemie before I'm gonna go home I'm gonna feed her I'll top her up with formula I'm gonna pump and then I'll give her like my breast milk and like I'm have a pediatrician for her already because she almost didn't let me go because she didn't want um she wanted to be the one to see me but like when you don't drive with a doctor it's just not gonna go well and my daughter's pediatrician my oldest he said that he would take our youngest on as um a new client so I was like, just get me out of here. I just need to go home. It's harder to recover because of COVID. You can't go walk the halls. So I was confined to the most uncomfortable bed, it probably in the entire facility. <laughs> I was in so much pain. I literally felt like I got hit by a truck. My, although my recovery with my second was shorter, I felt it was more painful than with my C-section. Really? That's interesting. Yeah, like I was walking, like you imagine like a 90 year old woman with a cane walking around that was me sitting down was painful because of the stitches um standing up was painful because of the stitches the only time I felt okay was like standing up all the time but like no one wants to do that 20 hours a day right (laughs) um so yeah I was just like I need to get home I just need to see my other baby that this was a point 
at this point was the longest I'd ever been away from her. Right. So I spent maybe a night or two away from my oldest and I'm at like, I haven't seen her since Monday. Um, I was like, you just need to get me home. Like either you can let me go home or I'm going to go home myself is kind of what I told the pediatrician. And she's like, okay, I'll let you go if your baby has gained more weight again. So she was up like 24 grams from the day before. So she's like, okay, you can go home. Um, just make sure you see the pediatrician next week. Um, and yeah, they let us go home and we got home Friday night and watching both my daughters like meet for the first time was like, honestly, heartbreaking. It was like the purest thing ever. Um, I'm so happy. That's like one of the things that I have on video. Um, and then, yeah, it was a rough few weeks after that. Um, cause at this point, I think I was only sleeping like maybe an hour or two at night. Um, especially throughout the hospital because I was very anxious while we were in the hospital because I was in a shared room mm. and I didn't know who was on the other side of the curtain. And the first roommate that I had was literally just on the phone all night. Like I think she was FaceTiming family. Um, and then the second roommate that I had just did not stop talking to her significant other. Like they just talked all night. And then at that point too, I was always checking on my little one, like, cause preemies are very, very loud. They, with every move, you, they can move a finger and they'll let out the biggest grunt. They're very grunty. They're very loud. Um, so every single like move I would hear her do. So I was like always constantly checking on her, making sure she was warm enough, um, like trying to feed her. So I was like sleeping a couple hours in the hospital and that didn't really change when I got home. So my postpartum with my second was far harder than with my first because with my first, I was still in the hospital. Um, and like my focus was all on her. She was in the NICU. I was concerned about like her getting fed. But then with my second, I was at home way earlier than I was with my first. So it was just kind of like me and her in the middle of the night. And you had two of them now, you know. Yeah, like my when we spent our first night home and we used to where we used to live is we had two master bedrooms and then like kind of like a bonus room area in the middle. So I had set up like the baby station like right in the bonus room. So I flicked on the light at 3 a.m. to go feed her. And my daughter at the time she was almost four. So like yeah, almost four. She comes out and she sits there and like, Emerson, what are you doing? Like, it's three o'clock in the morning. You need to go back to sleep. She goes, mom, how did baby Scotty get out of your belly? And I'm like, it's not really the conversation I want to have with you <laughs> at, 3 at three o'clock in the morning. I was like, mommy's doctor went to school for a very long time to learn how to get babies out of their mommy's tummies. She's like, okay, but how did she come out? And I was like, let's talk about it tomorrow. You go back to bed. <laughs> I was literally hit with almost the birds and the bees question at like 3 a.m. <laughs> no. But yeah, my uh, postpartum with my second was rough. Like I was very emotional. I was crying all the time. I thought she was like having failure to thrive. So I thought I needed to take her to the hospital. Um, I was also still having complications of my own. I developed a blood clot on the inside of one of my knees. Mm. And I could just see it like at the hospital. I could feel that it was raised. But that's also where I had varicose veins. Um, and so the doctor was like, just keep an eye on it. Um, if it gets red, raised, and hot, then you need to go to emerge to be assessed. 
And I was not home 24 hours from the hospital. And at that point I've got like a toonie size. I guess you wouldn't really know what a toonie size is. <laughs> um, I have no, you're, you said that a few times yeah. and I'm like, I don't know what that is, but. <laughs> yeah, because um, let's see, like double the size of your quarter. Okay. Yeah, maybe even <laughs> a little bit bigger. Um, I had that on the inside of my leg and it was red and it was raised and it was hot and it was uncomfortable. And I just broke down. I was like, I'm going to have to go back to the hospital, which I did. I had to go back to the hospital because I knew I had a blood clot, but I was very concerned that it was a DVT. Um, so I went back to the hospital and they're like, yeah, you have a blood clot, but our ultrasound tech is gone for the night. Cause this was just, again, our local hospital. It wasn't one of like the bigger ones in, cause we lived right outside of the big city. Um, they're like, our ultrasound tech has gone for the night. So we need to send you to the Alex tomorrow. Um, and I was like, okay, so like, what do I do? And they're like, okay, well, we're just going to load you up with a crap ton of like, uh, blood thinners. I think I got like 14,000 units of Tinsaparin, I think so. Maybe Lovenox. I don't know. Um, I got a lot that like more than I give out for patients who have just had like hip surgery. Like I got, I got a lot. (laughs) And, um, so they're like, yeah, this should hold you for the next, like, I think 24 hours, um, enough time for you to go get an ultrasound and, um, see where everything's at tomorrow. So then the next day I had to go and get an ultrasound at one of the main hospitals. And I had an appointment, um, at nine o'clock, but it's a hospital. So it was a little bit delayed. I didn't get into nine 30, which was fine. What they didn't tell me though, is then I would have to be like sent to emergency to wait for an emergency doctor to review um, the scans for my ultrasound and then review it with me. So I got there at nine and I didn't leave till like 1230. I was not prepared for this. I did not bring a pump. I did not have like enough to eat. I did not bring water with me. So at that point too, my milk had just came in. So I was like engorged. I was like in pain. I was leaking through my nursing bra, my nursing pad and my sweater. And I was like hand expressing into a cup in the middle of the emergency room just to like relieve some pressure um, because I didn't think to ask for a pump and they didn't offer it to me, which is hindsight, not a great idea. When someone offers you a pump at any point or if you need a pump, just ask for it. They have them. Um, but yeah, so they're like, yeah, you do have a blood clot. It's not a DVT though. Um, we will just monitor it. You'll have an ultrasound again in two weeks. And then he gave me some sort of topical cream to put on it. Um, we'll monitor it. And then um, hopefully it'll just kind of like uh, deal with it on its own with this cream and then the monitoring and then you'll be okay. And that's what happened. It was fine. But I literally... I think I had now looking back on it, I think for like the first month I had like postpartum anxiety because like I wouldn't sleep because I was scared that I was going to fall asleep and my blood clot was going to break off and it was going to travel to my lungs. And I was, that's how I was going to die. That I was like, no, yeah. Being a nurse can sometimes like bite you in the butt because you know too much because a normal person probably isn't like my clot's going to bust loose and then go to my lungs. and I'm going to get a major PE in my sleep. Most people are like, they don't even know probably that that's a, you know, (laughs) that's that, that's the thing that that's uh, a worry, right? Like nurses now being like spending as much time as I have, I have in a hospital as a patient nurses, a hundred percent 
make the worst patients because we, we know too much, much and we try to help too much. Yes. Or we don't ask for help when we need it because we know how busy the nurses are on their shift. Right. right. Um, but yeah, that was my thought. I thought I wasn't going to wake up. Like every single time I went to sleep, I thought I was going to, I wasn't going to wake up and I'd fall asleep and it would almost be like my heart would drop into my stomach and then I'd have to take like deep breaths and then it'd feel like my rapid pulse for like a minute so I think I was having like low-key anxiety attacks at that point too um but yeah like the first couple weeks I everything about my second birth I loved so much like birthing a human vaginally is just like the most empowering feeling like I want to do that over and over and over again right but the postpartum afterwards was way worse right and I don't know if that has to do with the vaginal delivery or like what but like I was a train wreck I was sobbing all the time I was crying all the time I thought she had failure to thrive I thought she was jaundiced I thought I was dying I felt definitely some some postpartum so did that end up just kind of fading on its own as just time progressed Mm -hmm. okay yeah I had a three ultrasounds um, in the span of six weeks and it was shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. Well, I mean, your postpartum anxiety. (laughs) Oh, oh, but that's good too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just kind of went away on its own. Like I was half expecting to go see my doctor about it because it was, it was bad, but like, I don't know if it was like just a part of the baby blues too, because I didn't experience anything like this with my first, like I experienced the baby blues on day three with my first and that was it. There was yeah. like really no tears. I wasn't sad. Um, I mean, I also came home with a baby that was pre-programmed, right? right. So that probably helped too. And you had like, you know, like but you yeah, said, it like did that dissipate on its own. That two and a half weeks where she was in the NICU of your first, where you were able to kind of like focus more on like yourself and your healing because you knew that there was somebody else watching her 24 seven. So I'm sure that transition from like two and a half weeks of your newborn's life, having her on a monitor and nurses taking care of her and, you know, helping you out to like Mm -hmm. just getting sent home right away with the baby is probably a lot more to cope with. So I'm sure that that definitely contributed a ton to your postpartum anxiety. Oh yeah. Like it was completely different than my first. It was, yeah. Well, although it was like, they're, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, it sounds like honestly, like your, your deliveries were totally different from your first year, second year postpartum was different. Like you really got two extremely different birth experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, I did get both ends of the spectrum. That's for sure. Yes. So I have like a good, I'm hoping somewhere when we have a third, it kind of meets in the middle and right. it's less chaotic. <laughs> yeah. Like if I could do, I could do without the preeclampsia, I could That'd do without great. all of it. I'm just, I'm just hoping just nice and calm. Cause it was, I, when I saw my OB at my six week checkup for my second, I was like, so like, am I crazy to have a third? with how everything went she's like honestly in my eyes like your pregnancy went really well she's like yeah your blood pressure kept shooting up but we were able to control it for the most part with um with the medication because at the end of it I was on 300 milligrams of lobetalol three times a day so I was Mm -hmm. on a pretty high dose yeah that's a lot (laughs) (laughs) yeah um 
uh, she's like, we were able to control it with meds. And then when we needed to deliver you, we did, but you made it to 36 weeks. Right. So in my eyes, like this is a success. She's like, it was way better than your first That's delivery. Awesome. And I was like, amazing. <laughs> but like, even though it didn't feel like that in the moment, like looking back on it, like my second pregnancy, my second delivery was way, way, way better than my first, even with all of the complications that I had postpartum, like I didn't almost die the second time. So I like, that's a win. Yes. Well, yeah, you, you deserve an easy one for your third. <laughs> yeah. Um, lastly, if you had like a quick little top piece of advice for moms, what would you say? Um, if it is your first, I highly, highly, highly recommend sleeping when the baby sleeps, the dishes can wait the laundry can wait. And if you're concerned about that, delegate it to someone else. Right. Because even if you don't feel like you have a village, you do. There's always going to be someone there to help out. If you need time just to snuggle your baby, just snuggle your baby. Because that newborn phase is so quick and it goes by so fast. Just honestly, soak it up. Delegate anything you can um, for those first couple weeks because they are truly the most magical first few weeks of your baby's lives if it is your second um my motto is um surviving not thriving (laughs) so get everyone through the day um do what you got to do to get yourself through the day but don't neglect yourself make sure you're drinking your water you're still eating but if your first kid has to watch an extra hour of paw patrol or you order McDonald's for the second day in a row, like you do what you got to do to get through the day, survive, not thrive. (laughs) I love that. That's like my, even with one of them right now, some days I'm like, you know, some days I feel like we're getting our steps in, like we're, we're thriving a little bit more, but then sometimes I'm like, we are purely surviving and that is, that's okay in motherhood. (laughs) Yeah. Survival mode comes first. Don't worry about like the Pinterest perfect ideally organized Instagram house, like who cares if you have some dirty diapers on your table, that's to be expected. That is normal. If you have spilt breast milk and spit up all over your shirt, rock it because you just got to survive. Oh, I love that. Brianne, thank you for um, coming on the podcast and sharing both of your um, birth stories with us. And hopefully maybe we can have you back for, for your third one um, and hear all about that also. (laughs) maybe like hopefully uh it goes uh better than the first but it'll still be a couple of years okay, <laughs> I think I just need some more time that's all right I'll still be here <laughs> beautiful well all thank right. you so much for having me I really enjoyed uh talking to you of course thank you for listening to another episode of what the bump make sure to follow us over on instagram at what the bump clt check out our website what the bump Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.